From me to Japan, I'm Frank Ling, and you're listening to the Grok Science Show. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the way it affects our daily lives. Coming up on today's show, Dr. Charles Limoli will join us to talk about the effects of radiation on brains. We'll be back in a few moments, so stay right there. Welcome back to the Grok Science Show. Well, for certain types of cancer, radiation is the only way to save a patient's life. However, the full effects of radiation are not yet known. However, the full physiological effects of radiation are not yet known. Well, joining us today is Dr. Charles Lamoli from the University of California at Irvine, who will tell us about his work on radiation and its effects on mice brain. Uh, Dr. Lamoni, thank you so much for joining us here today. You're welcome. So you've written a, a fascinating paper that was published uh, recently in the uh, Proceedings of the National Academy of Science. Um, can you tell us a little bit about this work and what it means for, uh, well, life in general? <laughs> Certainly. So um, as people are well aware, radiation uh, is used in a number of formats in, in, in the medical field. And it remains a frontline treatment for brain cancer. And don't uh, you know? Don't mistake the usefulness of this. Radiation is the only thing in the clinic that uh, effectively forestalls the growth of, uh, of malignancies in the CNS, central nervous system. Uh, okay, so it's clinically it's very useful. However, there are side effects. And one of the things we've known for years is that uh, people of all ages treated for a variety of brain tumors. Uh, invariably come down with uh, cognitive deficits. Now, the mechanisms for why radiation causes these cognitive deficits has been elusive. Some people have, uh, and, and I'm one of the people who has suggested that uh, the inhibition of neurogenesis, which is the process by which the brain makes new neurons throughout life, uh, radiation inhibits that, and that could be one um, uh, contributory factor towards the cognitive deficits we see. However, the majority of the brain doesn't undergo division. And as you may well know, neurons are complex cells that have very complex architectures in their dendritic and axonal ends. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to know if radiation had any adverse or beneficial, for that fact, effects on neuronal structure. And so what we have found when we've looked in a region of the brain called the hippocampus, which is important for spatial temporal uh, learning and memory, is that there were marked radiation-induced reductions in the complexity of the dendritic tree in these neurons. Mm. So what that really means is the number of connections, the branching, the number of synapses these neurons can form has been uh, significantly reduced. And over the course of our study, which was at 10 or 30 days, there was no sign of any recovery. So this appears, at least over the course of our one-month study, to be a persistent problem, and this is precisely what we think is happening in patients who undergo cranial irradiation for uh, the treatment of their brain tumors. 
So once they weaned off from the treatment, do they uh, do these mice recover then, or does that mean it's permanent? Well, that's a good question. So once the mice have been irradiated, and we try to match the irradiation paradigms with what would happen in the clinic, the radiation is restricted to only the head. Okay, much like a brain tumor patient, mm-hmm. um, and the mice's cognition uh, is impaired and it does not recover. So one of the mechanisms now that we think is that some of these changes in the neuronal architecture that the radiation has caused may be contributory, if not causal, to, to uh, a certain fraction of these radiation-induced detriments in cognitive performance. What this spells out when you look at some of the further details in the paper, which include changes uh, uh, radiation that these changes in the number of spines, which are actually these dendritic uh, elements, or consider spines the structural elements of memory. Mm-hmm. These are where the synapses form, and and these these are reduced uh, over the course of one month after radiation. And importantly, it's the new philopodia that are inhibited, so the ability to form new memories is impaired, and so. I mean, collectively, you can view our study as showing in mice, of course, that the radiation just produces a, a recipe for dementia. It uh, causes changes in neurons that appear to be relatively permanent and uh, uh, changes that significantly have, a, will have an adverse effect on synaptic transmission. I see. That's really fascinating. So I um, just want to get a little background in this field. Um, when you talk about uh, radiation, is it from specifically ionic sources or uh, those also from uh, external beams, for example? You're right. There, it, It's from external beams. So the treatments that we give patients and the treatment we gave these mice is from an external x-ray source. How, how does this compare to, say, uh, a CT scan where your, your brain's exact bombarded with uh, beams directly? Uh, but th- these are much higher doses. And, and, and that's a good question. So, for example, if, if you wanted to go in for a diagnostic, let's, let's get away from CT, let's just say, for example, a whole body scan mm-hmm. where you would, you would want to look for, you know, some problem in, in, for tumor formation or some problem in your uh, blood vessels, etc. The dose that you would get from that is the equivalent of eating four bananas. So we're at doses that are much higher. So there's diagnostic x-ray treatments that, in my opinion, are very safe. Mm -hmm. And then there's therapeutic x-ray treatments that are used to treat a very uh, deadly disease. And the downside of the therapeutic doses is that it comes with side effects. But but don't get me wrong, if you didn't go for this treatment, you would die. I see. So so let's, let's take children with medulloblastoma who are routinely given uh, cranial, uh, uh, you know, whole brain and whole spine irradiation, those children would not live if it wasn't for radiotherapy. And so while they live with some cognitive decrements that are, are serious and unfortunate, the, the alternative is death. So, you know, we have to find better treatments for these people. And so what you'll have found in the cancer field over the last 30 years, when, when, you know, back when I was born, there, are, there were no 20-year survivors. Mm-hmm. And now, if we look at a variety of CNS malignancies, and, and we have increased survival for, for glioblastoma, and, and, and which go out to five years in, in a smaller fraction of patients, and medulloblastoma patients can live for a while. But what you'll find is there's a lot of 20-year survivors, and docs are getting better at carrying cancer, but the side effects or the quality of life issues, particularly the cognitive side effects, we haven't kept pace. And, and to date, 
the adverse cognitive side effects of radiation and chemotherapy are a completely unmet medical need. You know, when people talk about radiation, a lot of it centers on the dosage. How about the source? How do the sources differ in terms of their effects, or it doesn't? It's not the main factor. Well, most of the people throughout the United States are treated with uh, clinical doses of uh, X-rays in the MEV range, the mega electron volt range. So these are high energy X-rays that mm -hmm. are generated and pass right through the body. There's a increasing number of people, although a small percentage of total patients that are treated with protons. And the ionization patterns that X-rays and photons leave are, for the most part, very similar. And what they do to cells in the body, why they're effective, is that they produce double-strand breaks in the cancer cells. That's a very lethal lesion that will kill a cancer cell. But, of course, there's normal tissue in between the tumor and the, be and the beam, and there's also some uh, um, inadvertent normal tissue damage. Mm -hmm. And our lab, at least for the CNS, is in the business of trying to fix that normal tissue damage. Okay, great. I understand you also do some work related to stem cells and uh, irradiation. Could, could you tell us a little bit about that? No, I, well, I can. So, as I was alluding to before, radiation has a, a adverse effect on cognition. Mm -hmm. And we think part of that is due to the depletion of the stem cells in the brain. And obviously, the recent work that we've published shows that it also has an effect on the non-dividing neurons and, and by having uh, by changing their architecture in, in adverse ways. I see. So that what we have are fewer cells and lower synaptic transmission. So we got the idea uh, four or five years ago that maybe we could use cranial transplantation of stem cells to fix this. Some of our prior work and published work now has shown that uh, we actually have a paper uh, uh, under consideration now that uh, a single pass through the brain, and what we do is an intrahippocampal transplantation of human uh, neural stem cells. Um, and when we do this, we put about 800,000 total cells in the brain of a rat. And then when we analyze these animals later, at one, four, or eight months afterwards, uh, we've been able to restore cognition back to control levels. And so we think that the mechanism for this is largely guided by trophic effects to the host brain, but we also have some evidence that there's some uh, cell replacement going on at earlier times. I just want to get some general insight into how you know radiation affects life. So you mentioned with a full body scan, it's the equivalent of four bananas of of radiation. Um, how about first? Well, that's right. Go ahead. Uh -huh. For say. Um, an x-ray for a dental scan, is that uh, much lower than? That, that's higher than the whole body scan um, because we're penetrating into the jaw and want to get a good look at the teeth, but that's still much lower than anything that you'd have to be concerned about. And, and so in terms of risks, you know, what are the um, uh, largest sources of radiation that people you know, are affected by? Well, so there's... There's background radiation, right, that we, that we can't escape from. Uh -huh. You asked earlier about a CT scan. So a typical dose in the clinic would be two gray. Okay. Okay. Uh, a lethal dose to a human would be about four to six gray. Okay. Four to six, okay. Four to six. Now, remember the radiation that we're using in the clinic is we shape the beam, so we're not doing whole body. We're uh -huh. targeting just the area afflicted by the cancer. Right. So a CT scan would be 10 to 100 milligray, which is a thousandth of a gray. So the doses matter. Um, the doses to where you have to be concerned are up into the clinical ranges. But at that point, 
the risk of not doing anything, your cancer is going to spread. And so the risk is much less to do. Mm-hmm. So radiation itself, something that people need to appreciate is that radiation is a very poor carcinogen. Most people think it's a strong carcinogen. There are chemicals out there, things on your barbecue, things that you deal with day-to-day, you know, plastics, etc., yes. that are far more dangerous in terms of cancer-causing agents than anything you would get to, from radiation sources. So, that, so, you know, the background that you get is, is about 3.7 milligray a year. That's, so and, and that's something we all get. Okay. Milligray, a uh-huh. thousandth of a gray per year. Right? That's, that's about what we, you know, what we get, and there's not a whole lot we can do about that. So that will go up a bit if you're a pilot. You get a higher dose because mm-hmm. the higher up you get, you get increase in neutron dose. Uh-huh. But again, you know, not, none of these things are, are cause for concern. Okay. But people, you know, people have, I think the problem, people have an unnatural fear of radiation. And, you know, people need to realize that radiation is a poor carcinogen. You don't want to voluntarily get irradiated. But when you do for a medical, for yeah, I mean, when you do it for a medical diagnostic procedure such as a CT scan, the dose that you get is not going to increase your risk of secondary cancers to a, 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 level that you should be concerned about as opposed to not getting the scan and having a cancer or other type of disease go undetected. That will kill you. You know what I'm saying? So, right, you know, the relative like, risks. When you, when you talk about, that's right, it's, everything's relative. So, you know, the, the doses you get into the clinic, you know, these are doses you're using because you have a disease. And some of the adverse consequences of that, um, you know, people that look at the various organ sites throughout the body, they understand what the various tissue sensitivities are. You know, mm, the uh, mm-hmm. bone marrow and the intestines are very sensitive sites. The muscle of the bone is less sensitive. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, most of the mature neurons in the brain are, in terms of survival, very radiation resistant. But some of these finer structural alterations that can impact cognition are things we've never known about. So you can get a big CNS impact from radiation without killing cells. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. just by, by, by the nature of the connectivity within the CNS. So, airplane flying is safe then? <laughs> well, well, sure. Statistically speaking, driving uh, to the uh, congested highways in L.A. or New York uh, is, is much more dangerous. Yeah. I met someone a while ago, a businessman who flies a lot in airplanes, and apparently he flew so much that the doctor told him there was detectable radiation in this urine. Is that an exaggeration, or is that something that's real? Well, the detectable radiation in his urine would have had to have been from something he ate. The increased exposure that you get, I mean, he, he might have had a biomarker that was elevated. In, was he a pilot? No, but he was flying international almost uh, weekly. I would guess that what they were picking up in the urine wasn't radiation itself. You know, mm-hmm. a radioactive element, rather a biomarker of exposure, and that could mm-hmm. have been slightly elevated, but I don't think it would have been a, a concern. What he's getting is an increased dose of neutrons, and and that uh, that has the potential to activate, uh, interact with the nucleus, and create some radioactive compound. So it's not impossible that they were picking up some increased, you know, radioactive compound in in his urine, but for the most part, from my understanding and in, in what I've dealt with neutrons is some of those are short-lived. Their half-life is, you know, very, very short, that by the time he lands, I mean, some of these only last milliseconds. 
but you know, it's it's not outside of the realm of possibility. You know, I, I haven't actually heard that before. So. <laughs> Radioactive pee. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, people have it in certain procedures, but just as flying around, I, I have to look into that. That's, that's interesting. But, I, you know, it's not possible. I but see. But I would suspect I that see. what they're picking up is a biomarker. I see. I see. Getting back to the thing, you know, with radiation. Radiation is useful in the right format. I mean, we just need to figure out ways of, of uh, ameliorating some of the normal tissue damage throughout the body. And, you know, our, as I said, our particular areas of the brain. And understanding how radiation impacts the brain is, is obviously the first step. And as we learn more about this, we'll come up with drugs and strategies for preserving neuronal structure after radiation so that the, so the cognition following treatment uh, won't be uh, so adversely impacted. So you mentioned that um, there, at least in the general public, seems to be an irrational fear that radiation is you know, dangerous and carcinogenic. Uh, well, you know, what are your thoughts on how the media has communicated how radiation can be useful or harmful to our society? Well, I think they've done a poor job, and I think it's very easy for the media to highlight the protests against nuclear energy, for example, where people feel very, very strongly. And you know, mm -hmm. uh, my opinion is there is a certain type of person who the, who you're never going to convince one way or the other. As a scientist, you need to look at both sides of the fact, and I'm not saying these people don't have some elements of truth in their argument, but looking at it rationally and scientifically, I think the media should do a better job at talking to scientists like me and other people who do environmental exposure type of research and ask them what they think. Because, you know, it's easy to do a media report on a bunch of angry people who live by a nuclear power plant and who are understandably upset and concerned. But it's also prudent to ask the experts what the risks are and what the radiation fields surrounding nuclear power plants, surrounding diagnostic procedures or therapeutic procedures, what the risks are, what they really do to cells. And then, you know, to, to a person who can evaluate this, uh, you know, uh, carefully and, you know, not uh, having prejudgments, you know, an unbiased person will, will come to the conclusion that in the long run, radiation is probably a better solution to a lot of things in terms of, like for treatment or diagnosis in medicine and in, in my opinion uh, nuclear power plants are probably a very safe uh, over over the long run an effective way of, of reducing greenhouse gases and providing the uh, community with energy okay great well yeah it's been a very insightful discussion I'm just curious how did you get involved in this field well uh, originally I was a chemist and was interested in free radical chemistry Mm -hmm. as a graduate student, and then uh, as, as you do in science, you, you, you wear many hats, and uh, I started to get interested in radiation effects in the brain and eventually testing animals and doing stem cell transplants, and so it's been a, a strange path, one that I couldn't have predicted uh, 20 years ago, but uh, it's certainly been interesting, and, and I think the, the work we're doing is tackling an important clinical problem. Okay, well... Um... I just want to thank you for your time today. Uh, are there any last words you'd like to add about yourself or your work? No, yeah, sure. Not so much about myself, but uh, I think that uh, given the economic environment and the way things have been shifting uh, for all fields and all jobs in this country, I would make a strong pitch for people who are interested in promoting research to write their congressmen so that uh, work like mine and work like many of my colleagues can be supported. What I'd like to see is uh, an increased expenditure in uh, basic research in this country at all levels.
Great. Professor Limoni, thank you so much for joining us here on the Grok Science Show. Well, you're welcome. Take care now. And we were just talking to Professor Charles Limoli from the University of California, Irvine, on his work on radiation and mice brain. To read more about his work, you can check out the recent edition of the Proceedings of the National Academies of Sciences. And that's all for this week's edition of the Rock Science Show. Make sure you tune in again next week for more from the world of science, technology, and the way it affects our daily lives. In the meantime, you can check us on the web at www.grox.net, on Facebook, and Twitter. You can also email us at science at grox.net. For Grox Science, I'm Frank Ling. Stay tuned here for more music. <laughs>